Let's start in the book of Daniel. And uh, I guess the book of Daniel, probably more than any other book in the Bible, when you mention the name of it, everybody automatically begins to think of future events. And I guess probably outside the book of Revelation, and the two books really do go hand in hand, there's no greater two books in the Bible that really lay out the prophecies uh, that deal with the end times. And you take those two books together, and they really supplement each other, and uh, they're incredible books to try to uh, lay out all the material, but they're, they're really uh, something that if you're ever going to really get to the Bible in your life, you're going to have to do. And Daniel supplies many of the missing elements that help put the whole prophecy concept together. Yet at the same time, you're going to find, as you read through the book of Daniel and studying it, there's places like chapter 12, verse 9, and chapter 12, verse 4, where Daniel's told not to write what he sees, that the book is sealed up, that uh, God didn't want to reveal everything till the, obviously, the tribulation period. When God gets in it, there's things both in the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation that he'll open up and show that he's not showing now. And that makes it unfortunate for us because there's no way we can always get all of the material together when we don't have those missing keys, but you can still get a lot of the stuff, as you'll see. From a historical standpoint, Daniel, and the name Daniel means God is my judge. Uh, his life and ministry, as I said last week, it spans between Jeremiah and Ezekiel, or, or excuse me, uh, Je uh, in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. He fits into that time period there that spans the entire captivity. And you're going to find that Daniel, at the end of Ezekiel's reign, uh, takes that time and really for the whole 70 years captivity. He spans that time after the two great prophets of Jeremiah and Ezekiel. You'll find that he's deported to Babylon in the first attack. And remember last week I told you that Nebuchadnezzar comes down three times and attacks Jerusalem. And he goes down in the first attack in 606 B.C. Now something you need to understand here, that Daniel is only about 12 or 14 years old when this captivity takes place. You can't know for sure how old he is, but he's very, very young. And most, most men who go through and lay out those genealogies put him at about 12 to 14, certainly no older than 16 years old when he's deported to Babylon. The Bible says in chapter 1, verse 3, and we're going to read some of that here in just a little bit, I'm just giving you some background, that Daniel was part of the king's seed. He is connected with the line of Christ. And you're going to find that he's of the royal line that gets deported to Babylon because Nebuchadnezzar wants to bleed out the kingly line. Part of the devil's plan was to take the line that, from which Christ is going to come, bring it down into Babylon and over the captivity, mix that kingly seed with all of the different devil concepts and demonic concepts of Babylon, therefore canceling out the first coming of Christ. Don't forget... The first prophecy in your Bible in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 had to do with two seeds. And one of them is the kingly line, the other one is the unkingly line. One of them is God's line, the other one is the devil's line. And here now, as other places through the Bible, we simply see that the devil's plan is to bring the, the very cream of the crop, the king's seed of the nation of Israel, down to Babylon, and there, during that captivity, bleed out that bloodline and stop the line of Christ. Now, I've given you a breakdown of every book that we've come through, and you know 
our goal here is we're coming through every book of the Bible. We want, first of all, to teach you to the point where you really understand, as we go through the Bible together, the concepts if you really want to sit down and learn the Bible. Secondly, down the line, as our church grows, there'll be men and women that'll come in that'll say, hey, Bob, you know what? I want to learn the Bible. Well, we'll have the material already ready that you can begin to go through because it's uh, material in such a fashion that'll give you everything you need to really lay out and put together uh, the Bible so you can study it and get an understanding of it. So this, bi this book of the Bible is no different. But the breakdown, again, is real simple. There's two prophecies foretold in the book of Daniel, and that's how the book splits. In chapter 1 through chapter 7, you find the, the history of the Gentiles' nations given in a prophecy. And you find in those, that first part of the book, the first seven chapters, dealing with Gentiles, the Gentile nations, and God foretelling where this world is going to go with the Gentile nations. In chapter 8 through chapter 12, you're going to find that the emphasis is going to be on the restoration of the nation of Israel. And you're going to find that now he turns his attention to the nation of Israel, the Jews, and talks in great length about the second coming of Christ, the tribulation period, and how the nation of Israel gets uh, restored. Daniel's an interesting man. There's three men in the Bible that really picture the Trinity. I don't know if you know that or not. The first man who pictures God the Father is Abraham. And the Bible tells us about Abraham in John chapter or Romans chapter 4. Uh, in Romans chapter 4, it tells us in verse 16 that Abraham is the father of us all. And in that spiritual sense, Abraham is a picture of God the Father. The Jews look at him as the father of their nation. We look at him in a spiritual sense, knowing what the Bible says, that salvation is of the Jew, that it all starts with Abraham. So when Paul was writing the book of Romans, he was making reference to that, saying that Abraham, in a spiritual sense, it all starts with the Jew. The Jew starts with Abraham, so Abraham is the father, in a spiritual sense, of us all. Then you have Joseph. Joseph, in the Bible, is the greatest type of the Lord Jesus Christ. In over 152 places in the book of Genesis and other places, you'll find him referenced or areas of his life referenced to things of Christ to show you the correlation between the two. When you go back in Genesis chapter 41, verse 43, you'll find that the Bible clearly says that, that Joseph rides in the second chariot behind Pharaoh. God the Father, God the Son, the second spot. Then we have Daniel. And if you haven't guessed it already... Daniel is a picture and a type of the Holy Spirit of God. Daniel interprets dreams. Daniel gives interpretation of things. When the king can't understand what is being written or what is being said or what he dreams, it's Daniel that comes in and interprets that for him. He's a picture of the Holy Spirit of God because that's what the Holy Spirit of God does in your life and my life. It interprets for us. It shows us exactly what uh, the Bible is saying. So when you come to Daniel chapter 5, verse 7... It's no wonder that you find Daniel is elevated to the third position in the kingdom in verse, in verse 7. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So we see that the book of Daniel uh, is an incredible book with many, many different concepts that we're going to try to give you an understanding of this morning, and it'll be, it'll be a fun time. Now, from an inspirational standpoint, you know, most of God's people, and I found this true all my life, I'm not kidding you, most of God's people get so caught up with prophecy. Now, i got to tell you, prophecy is exciting. Everybody likes to think about the end times, but 
until it, it may be today, and then we don't want to think about it anymore. But everybody likes to think about the rapture, the tribulation period, the Antichrist. Get into prophecy. Oh, man, we're living in a day and age where right now, uh, over in the Middle East, we're seeing biblical prophecies be fulfilled. It's an exciting time. And it's a time where you can actually take your Bible, if you know what you're doing, <coughs> and get a play-by-play -play of what's taking place in the Middle East and in America. And, uh, man, it's like going to a Chiefs game and having the, uh, the playbooks in your hand that tell you exactly what plays all the coaches are sending in. That's what the Bible does for you in the day and age that we, day and age that we live in. But you know what? It's unfortunate that that's what Daniel is noted for. Because I want to tell you something. One of the most practical books in the Bible for your everyday life. One of the most practical books in the Bible for what you and I have to deal with in our lives today is the book of Daniel. I don't know of another book as concise and laid out as you're going to see the book of Daniel is. And I'm going to try to do today a hard thing. I'm going to try to bridge gap between the, his, uh, the inspirational and the doctrinal so I give you an overview of both aspects without shortcutting uh, either one of them. And so you're going to have to bear with me because I'm going to move back and forth here. But I think it'll be in a fashion that you're able to understand it. And when you leave here today, I hope you're a little bit wiser uh, and smarter about the things of God than you are when you came in. And that's our goal today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We love you. We ask you, Father, to take the Word of God today, <clears throat> make it real in our hearts, help us to understand all that we have and all that we do. Uh, and Lord, to whom much is given, much is required. We pray, Father, that you'll quiet our hearts, you'll open our minds today, and Holy Spirit of God, do that work of interpreting for us. Show us, lead us, because Lord, without you, all the knowledge in this room is worthless without the power of the Holy Spirit of God to lead and guide us into all truth. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. For the sake we ask it, amen. Now, I want to stay with the inspirational for just a minute, and then we'll move back and forth. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 22, 6, a, a verse that you all know. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And I want to talk to you today for a little bit about that aspect. Because uh, the book of Daniel is a book that shows you the inside details of what it means and how to teach that child. Now we have, a, we have a, one good thing about our church is the fact we have a lot of young couples. We have a lot of young people. And continually we have couples with kids and we have uh, moms, single moms with kids and single dads with kids. And we're, we're, we have more couples all the time are having kids and that's a good healthy thing for a church. And that's why it's so absolutely important that you and I understand some things about the concept of Daniel. If you're a young man this morning, or a young gal this morning, and you're somewhere in your early 20s, or maybe in your late teens, or wherever you're at, you need to understand what I'm saying today, because a lot rides on it of your success as a child of God and what you're going to accomplish with the Lord Jesus. Thursday night, I, I told the folks there, I always give you a little preview of Sunday, and I asked them this question. I said, what would you do, or how would you respond, if this morning I could give you the absolute guaranteed results of who was going to win the Super Bowl for the next 20 years? What would you do with the information if I could say to you, Jimmy, here is a list for the next 20 years. Uh, who is absolutely guaranteed going to win the Super Bowl. 
You would be a millionaire if you got any brains at all. Remember that story, Back to the Future, where that Michael J. Fox was in there and he, he bought that sports book in, in a year, you know, 100, 200 years, at, at, at his plan was to go back and have all the, and he's going to make a fortune. That's exactly what we would do. Well, let me ask you this. What would you say, what would you do with if I told you that I could show you absolutely, unconditionally, for your children, one, how the devil is going to attack them, two, when he's going to attack them, three, exactly the mode by which he's going to come after them, four, the exact things that you need to do and understand to counter that, that you have an absolute understanding in your own life first, the life of your children, and if you're a young man or a young lady today, an answer to why you get attacked the way you do when you decide to do what's right with God. Now, every answer to those questions is found in the book of Daniel. And if you're raising kids here this morning, and that's my, my real concern, I have such a burden for moms and dads who are trying to raise children in the world that we live in. I've even had parents say to me, you know what, or mom, a couple say to me, you know what, we want to have kids, but let me ask you a question. The world is such a terrible place, and there's so many rotten things, and it's such a wicked place. Uh, we're, almost af we're almost afraid to have kids because we don't want to try to... What they're saying is, we don't want to bring kids into this environment and then fail and have them... We'd rather stay single without kids than married with kids that we lose because the devil and the world gets them. And I understand that, but let me just say this to you. The biblical principles are clear. And the Word of God today works just like it did 2,000 years ago, 1,500 years ago, 1,000 years ago. Please don't think that the Holy Spirit of God would take you to the book of Daniel and then take you into the book of Revelation and lay out for you all the intimate details of the Antichrist. There's places in that Bible I can show you how much the Antichrist weighs. There's places in that Bible I can show you how tall he is. There's places in that Bible that I can show you what, his, what he thinks about women. And let me tell you something. When he establishes the kingdom... Him and Hillary will get along just fine without Bill. That's his mindset. I can take you and show you the most intimate details about the second coming of Christ, all of those things, and yet we fail to understand. We fail to focus on the fact that the same Holy Spirit of God that gives you the intimate details of the end times is the same Holy Spirit of God that gives you the intimate behind-the-scenes details of how to raise your family. And for a young man or a young lady to give you the victory or for a mom and dad to give you the victory. I told you last week, one of the key words in the Bible is the word overcome. And you're going to see that Daniel is an overcomer. You're going to see how he overcomes. He's one of the seven men that I talked about Thursday night that I mentioned last week. He's one of the seven men that the Bible says that if you want to learn how to overcome, he's one of the men to study. There's seven of them. We talked about it Thursday night. And this is the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel reveals to you and I those concepts that we must understand. Now, I want to read Daniel chapter 1 here, starting in verse 1, and let's just come along here with me. It says this, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem, and besieged it. 
And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Naspanez, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. Children in whom there was no blemish, but well favored, and skillful in all wisdom, and cunning in knowledge, and understanding science, and as such had the ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning in the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat, and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. That's very important. Now among these were the children of Judah, Dan, uh, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belshazzar, and unto Hanaiah to Shadrach, and to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he refused of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now parents, there's some things you need to take notes on. If you've got young kids... And you're going, are you completing someday getting married and having kids? If you want your kids to make it through this world with God and, and God's hand in their life, if you want an absolute guarantee that will bring you through every trial on this planet, you're about to get the inside information that you will get. And I say it again, it is unfortunate that Daniel is so focused on because of his future references on prophecies and it's so taken back from it's the greatest practical book on how to do it. Because we see in chapter 1, the first thing I want you to make a note of is the fact that Nebuchadnezzar has a plan for these children. He has a plan for these children. Now we've already seen that these children are just in their young teens. And that's very important. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But let me just say this. The devil has a plan for your kids. It already tells us that he has a plan. Nebuchadnezzar now, even though he's one of the, he's the king of Babylon, he's a type of the, one of the 18 types of the Antichrist. He's also a type of Satan. And his kingdom of Babylon is a picture of the world system that we live in today under the guise of his majesty, the devil. And just as Nebuchadnezzar had a plan for those Hebrew children, children of the king's seed, I'm telling you, you got a picture of the devil and the plan that he's got for your child. God shows you the plan before you even have children. Now let's watch this. Verse 5. Three years. Three years. He says, The king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, and at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Here's the plan. The devil wants your child to stand before him. Truth of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, your children are going to stand just like you. Your children are going to stand either for God or for the devil. There's no halfway point. It's not, well, I'm kind of for God and not kind of for the devil. I like God, but I like doing my own thing. No, no. That maybe exists in your mind. It does, it's much clearer in God's mind. God simply says, he that is not with me is against me. No man can serve two masters. The Bible says very clearly and plainly that you have a decision to make in life. You're going to stand for something. Everybody does. It may not be as grandioso stand as, as somebody else, but it's a stand. You may be a drunk on skid row, but you'll take a stand on what gutter you're going to sleep in. Everybody takes a stand on some level. And you need to understand that. The devil's plan is for your child to stand before him. 
So what does he do? His plan takes about three years. Now let me just say this to you. You cannot as a parent concede those three years. I don't know for sure when they're going to fall into your child's life, but I'm going to show you in just a few moments how you, understand, how you can understand it, because every child's a little different. But I'm going to tell you this. Mom and dad, you cannot. You cannot concede this three years. A parent trying to raise their kids without understanding what's going on in Daniel chapter 1 is going to wind up a disaster. I'm telling you. Because the devil is going to come in you're going to think everything else in the world is going to keep him out. He's going to come in. You're not even going to know it. And the damage is going to be done before you scratch your head and say what went wrong. That's the way it always works. Now my Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, a great passage in the Word of God that talks about the whole armor of God. It says there, as you know, it says there that uh, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual uh, principalities and powers and all of that stuff. And you're going to find in verse 13 a little phrase. That phrase is, and he uses the word stand about three or four times down there in that passage. And then he says we have to done all to stand and to stand against the evil day. Now that is a key thing that you have got to understand. And I want to take some time and explain this this morning. The evil day in your child's life. When is that? Somebody would say, well, it's obviously when they become a sinner. You know, out of the age of accountability and suddenly when your child is whatever age, you know, and they start to need to be saved and see the need for salvation, that's the evil day. No, that's not the evil day. We say, well, it must be then when, you know, uh, uh, and I've heard parents give all kinds of excuses or, 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 or opinions when the evil day is. The evil day is defined for you. The evil day is defined for you in the book of Genesis. It's to find for you what the evil day is in your life, my life, everybody in this room. If you're saved, or are you not saved, you came to a point in your life where you were faced with this evil day. Now I'm going to tell you what this evil day is. And I'm going to explain it to you in the Bible. But I'm telling you, every child that you raise is going to face this evil day. Every parent in this room will face or has faced this evil day. You may even not know when you faced it. You, your whole life may be, you know, you couldn't pinpoint it. I want to help you today because it's very clear. Adam and Eve is a great story. I don't know if you know it or not, but Adam and Eve are like children. And you find that God put Adam and Eve down in the garden and they're like children. Do you ever notice the traits that Adam and Eve have are the same traits that little children have? I mean, Adam and Eve, the Bible says they were naked. And they walked up and down and ran up and down in the garden. And the Bible says they were not ashamed. One of the things that your little guy, your little guy or little girl do when you're when little is like to be naked. I've seen them come in church where they're taking their pants off in the back. I had my two daughters when they were out there wondering where they're at. And they just get out of the bathtub and there they are in their birthday suit out in the front porch waving at the neighbors going down the street. Now, I'm telling you, that's what little kids do. And they're not ashamed. I'll tell you something else. When little kids do something wrong, they do the exact same thing that Adam and Eve did. They run and hide. Do you ever notice, you ever notice with little kids, the one thing you've got to keep telling them all the time, over and over again? Don't put that in your mouth. Don't put that in your mouth. Don't put that in your mouth. Little kids having an affinity 
a pudding shop in their mouth, and God said to them, Adam and Eve, and the day thou eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. The thing that killed Adam and Eve was putting something in their mouth that wasn't good for them. And that wasn't all. Every little child you ever had, if you had two or three of them, when somebody does something wrong and you come in there, they always blame it on the other one. Well, that's what Adam did. God came down and said, Adam, what'd you do? And he said, mm, the wife you gave me. Adam and Eve are like little kids. You got to see that. And they follow the traits of little kids. And then there came a day in Adam and Eve's life, an evil day. You know what the evil day is coming for your child? I don't care if he's two. I don't care if they're not born yet. I don't care if they're in the nursery today. I don't care if they're over there and they're sitting down singing the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. There's coming a day when that child is going to have to face the evil day. And Adam and Eve is the example. The evil day was when they were faced with the reality of, Yea, hath God said. The evil day is when your child is faced with, yea, hath mom and dad said. There's coming a day when the devil is going to take your child, just like he did with Adam and Eve, and get them to question authority. And in Adam and Eve's case, it was, did God really know what he was talking about? In your case, it's going to be, does mom and dad really know what they're talking about? That's the whole thing with, with this thing with Nebuchadnezzar. The whole thing, the whole thing. Because he wants these children to stand before him. He wants them to stand before him. And he has a, he has, he, he's giving them all of the things. He, he's forming them. He's making them. And in three years time, in three years time, they will be ready. They'll be ready to question authority. And they'll be ready when mom or dad says this, they'll say, I'm not going to do that. When mom and dad says, be home by nine, I'll be home when I want to be. The day that you've got to watch out for is the day when Adam and Eve had to deal with. It's as you have got to understand. It's all true in our life, your life, and my life. Is the day, whatever age you were, when you decided to question authority in your life because somebody else was influencing you differently. Your child standing for God as you're standing for God, will be based on you building the number one quality in a child's life. That quality is character. Character is not something you're born with. You're not born with character. You're born with an old sin nature. There's nothing good inside you. Your flesh is vile toward God. And as a, as a baby, even though you may be cute, you are so selfish that you want what you want when you want it. Care less what your mom and dad's doing. You are so selfish that you will cry out in the middle of my preaching service because what you got to say is more important than what I got to say. That's selfish. That's the way little babies are. They're darling. They're cute. They're lovable. But just don't give them what they want and see how well you can reason with them. You know what they call it? A pacifier, don't you? And I'm telling you, kids aren't born with character. There's no great character kids that are born. Kids are born with an old sin nature. That's what the Bible means when it says, train up a child. You have to mold that character. 
You have to stretch that character. You have to build that little will. You have to shape that mind. You have to bring about the things that, that bring about character. And once you take the time to build character in their life, you have one goal in mind. If you don't understand that you're building character and everything you're doing in your young child's life is up against an evil day, you're better off not to have kids because you're going to lose them. You don't just walk into having kids and then say, oh, you know what? Yeah, we'll just raise them. They'll be fine. We'll take them to church. We'll do this. We'll do that. Oh, yes, I'll teach them this. I'll give them their memory verses. If you don't have in your mind a game plan, first thing I ask parents when they come in with little kids and they got problems, I ask them, what's your plan? Well, we make them do what's right. We make them, I'm not asking that. What's your plan? What is your mandate? What, do you, what is your vision? What do you see? Tell me what you're up against. Tell me everything you're doing right now is up against what? I'll tell you what it's up against. It's up against an evil day. That you're told in Ephesians chapter 6 to do all that you can to stand and stand against the evil day. And whether you know it or not, read Ephesians. Before you get down there in verse 10 and you read all the good stuff about warfare and all this stuff and all the armor, you better read 6, 1 through 4. It's talking about your children. It's all going together. When you build courage, excuse me, when you build character, then you have the ability to build the second great ingredient, that's courage. Now, courage comes in two forms. You have moral courage, and you have physical courage. But courage only comes from character. Character builds a platform by which you can build all the virtues that the Word of God says you should, but certainly one of the greatest things you can do, and what your child will need, is character and courage. Courage in a moral sense, courage in a physical sense. Some of the demands in life will take physical courage. Some of the opposition in life will take moral courage. But courage nonetheless, and no courage without character, and no character without understanding an evil day. You get caught up like a little rat in a little maze, running through all the little tunnels, trying to find the cheese at the end. Cheese being a successful family. And you wonder why you bump your head. Because you have no clear plan. You think you're to raise kids. You're to train kids. You raise rabbits. You raise dogs, cats, corn. You train kids. I'll tell you the next thing. Look at verse 5. You want to get this down. Verse 5 says he gives them a daily provision. That daily provision is the very best filth that Babylon had to offer. And the devil has for your child the very best gold-plated filth this world can offer. And you cannot stop it from happening. Christian parents are so stupid. They think that, oh, wow, I'm going to keep the devil from getting to my child, so I'll put him in a Christian school, I'll put him in this Christian environment instead of the world, and then he gets Christian filth versus the worldly filth. You cannot, my friend, isolate your kid from this evil day. It's coming. You can't do a thing to stop it. You can't do a thing to postpone it. You cannot isolate your child from that day, but you can insulate your child against that day. The Bible says in verse 3, as I already said, these were children of the king's seed. The devil knows how to stop God's people. He just gets their kids. He gets the next generations 
four or five generations to intermarry with the world, take up the world, and Christianity is dead. That's, that story's taught in Numbers chapter 22, 23, 24. Three, 4,000 years ago, the devil was using that plan. I want you to look at verse 4. This daily position for the children of the king's seed, whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. The learning and the tongue. Two things in this provision. When he has the devil for your child, when they get out there in the world, and you can't keep your arms around them forever, and we're going to see it in just a moment. When they get out there and they have to face that evil day, if there's been no character built, if there's been no courage developed, if there's no platform of biblical concept where they understand with you as your parents and them, let me tell you something. When he gives them that day, three years is all it takes. And you cannot concede that three years. You cannot give it up. You have to fight it through and you have to stay with it because all it takes to change your sweet little darling from a little princess to some little tramp running around with the world half naked is about three years of this kind of provision. And I'm telling you, he says the learning in the tongue. That provision does two things. The learning gets them to think like the world. The tongue gets them to talk like the world. That's what they want to do. They want to change the way your child is. How many pictures I've seen families have shown me of little sweetheart gals growing up. How pretty they were at 11 and 12. I never have understood parents that took kids that were 12 and 13 and let them dress like they were 30. Never understood that. My best, somebody says, well, maybe they need some help. Yeah, baseball bat across the head of the parents work a couple of times, but I'm telling you, I never understood that. Why would you take a precious little girl who is struggling and then thrust her into the look-alike contest with Madonna or somebody out there? Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you that in just a minute. I'm not getting ahead of myself. This is such a good message, I just want to get all the parts at one time. Sorry. The tongue, talk like the world. The learning, think like the world. The devil knows how to stop it, and I'm talking to you. I'm telling you. You may think you may, you may isolate your child. You can put him in Christian that, Christian this, Christian that. There is nothing. There is nothing that will take the devil out of your child's life in this evil day. All you can do is isolate him because every man and woman that walks this planet has got to face that day when you see what the world says, you know what God says, and you're going to decide which way you're going to go. Yeah, half mom and dad said. Look at verse 5. Want to mark this down. I don't know if you ever caught this or not. But in this plan, not only was there daily provision, not only did he take the children of the king's seed, but he, he wasn't satisfied. Part of learning the talk and learning to think, the tongue and the learning, came away with changing who they were. Look at verse 6. Here's the names of the Hebrew children. Daniel means God is my judge. Haniah means God is gracious. Mishael means God without equal. Azariah means God is my helper. Verse 7. Unto whom the prince of the eunuch gave these names. Daniel is now called Belshazzar. That means Baal's prince. Whoa. We've come a long way from God as my judge to Baal's prince. Shadrach. Now he's the illuminator of the sun god, or the illuminator of the sun god. Mishael, he's who's like Venus. 
Abednego, that is the servant of Nego, one of the major gods of Babylon. You see what he did? And that's exactly what the devil does through this process of daily provision. He changes who your child is. Now let me just say something to you. Let me tell you why, what I refuse to do. And this is why a lot of people don't like me. And all my life I've had people, and I've told you this before, you either love me or you hate me. And some people love to hate me. But let me tell you why it is. Let me tell you what the number one problem is with me, with other people. I will not allow anybody to define who I am. I'm going to say it again. I will not allow anybody to define who I am. You know what the world wants to do? You know what he was trying to do? He took those three Hebrew children and he was redefining who they were. I know who I am in Christ Jesus. I am comfortable with who I am in Christ. I know who I am in Christ. And I am not going to allow this world or anybody in it. I have never gotten along with big mainstream pastors. I've never gotten along with cliques with other churches. You know why? To be buddy with them, to be part of them, you have to redefine yourself to where they're at. And I'm not going to do that. I know what the Bible says. Nobody on this planet is going to redefine me from who God has told me I am. I don't care who it cost me as friends. I don't care it, what it cost me as with preaching buddies. I don't, I don't care about that. All I care about is the truth. And I know that in you, like me, God has defined you and your children. And your child will be in danger of the world through the daily profession and the daily provision. And all the filth that they've got of changing their names, redefining who they are. I think we call it peer pressure. They go to, they go to, they go to school. Everybody else wears their pants down halfway through their rear end, so they do it. They wear ripped out jeans that's got so many holes in them, you could, uh, mosquitoes could fly through them and never break a wing. And you know what? They do it because they want to do it. They see somebody on TV and she, some gal or some guy, she gets a new perfume, some new clothes, some new style, and everybody wants to be like that. What the devil wants to do is redefine you. And along with that redefining, he will bring into your life all the pressures to conform. And that's the difference between the world and God. The world wants to conform you. The Bible wants to transform you on a daily basis. But this world wants to conform you. I'll show you how deep this goes. If you go and ask the average Christian who the Hebrew children was, they say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We teach our kids in Sunday school about these things, and we teach them the devil's names instead of God's names. If you would go to the average Christian and say, name me the Hebrew children, they would not say, Hanai, Mishael, and Azariah. they say, oh, I know that one, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We are so bent on conforming that we can't even hold the line in areas like that. I'm going to tell you, nobody, they, part of this whole concept is the world on that evil day wants to start the redefining process in your life. Changing how you think. Changing your values. Changing what you do. And I'm going to tell you. I'll, I'll just tell you. And I, don't, I mean, you can, buy, you can find this in some good psychology books, but this is in the Bible. From birth to four years old. From birth to four years old, 
Your kid, by the time he's four, character traits are set. You're not going to build character after four. The foundation for his character, I mean, I don't mean character in the sense I used the last time, I mean character of who he is and character in the things that he does. Those things are set by the time he's four years old. From four to ten to a twelve, depending on the child, all you can do in that person's life is build a foundation. You build the basic concepts of relationship, fellowship. You show them God through mom and dad's life because that's the only God that they have. They can't understand the Bible yet. They have to get it through you. They as a child is what we have to do right now. We have to get to God through Christ. Well, in the family, God made mom and dad kind of like Christ. And if the kid gets anything from God, just like I got to get it through Christ and the Holy Spirit, you got to get it through mom and dad as a young child growing up. Now think where we'd be as Christians without Christ or the Holy Spirit of God trying to find God. And that's exactly where most kids are trying to get to God in this world because they don't have a parent that's going to example what Christ should be in their lives. And that's part of the problem. But by 10 to 4 to 12, let me tell you something. The foundation is laid. The relationships are down. I'm telling you, you're well on your way. By the time you hit 12 or 16, right exactly where Daniel is at, somewhere in here, I don't know, Every I'm not saying exactly the age, I'm just saying, this is the format. But somewhere in here, bang, the evil day hits them. And it's, yea, hath the devil said, yea, hath the world said, or yea, hath mom and dad said, or yea, hath the God said. And now comes the decision process. Let me tell you, if there's no character, if there's no courage, if there's no moral fiber, if there's no physical courage, I'm going to tell you what you got. It'll go that way a hundred thousand times in a row. You see, by 12 years old, by 12 and on, you ought to be loosening responsibilities on your child. Yeah. Yeah, I know that's not, but I'm telling you. From birth to four, you build the character traits. From four to twelve, you build the relationship, the foundation. You show them God. You build everything in there. And then by the time they get twelve and sixteen, if you've done your job and the care, you know there's an evil day coming, that's what you're working against. You understand how the devil's going to come. It's not a mystery now. How's the devil going to come out? There's kids that you don't let your kids hang out with. There's kids that you do. You pick and choose. You teach them. You guide them. You mold them. You shape them. And then from twelve on, it should be a loosening of the rules and the regulation as you shift to build responsibility in their lives of handing over power from a child to a young man or a young lady by the time they're 18 and 19 they have to know they know how to make those decisions character's been built nobody's nobody's redefined them I'm going to tell you verse 4 these kids had a good foundation he says in verse 4 skillful in wisdom cunning in knowledge Understanding science. Well, right there, skillful would be Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon. Cunning and knowledge would be Ecclesiastes. Understanding science would be Genesis and Job. Five wisdom books and at least Genesis that we know of. And all of this, here's what it comes down to. Here's what it comes down to. Your responsibility as a parent, raising up those little kids or wherever they're at. Hey, and I will help you whatever stage you're in. If they're older now and they're not obeying or whatever, I'll work with you. There's always something you can do 
But I'm just telling you this. The end result is when you do this thing and you see the evil day coming and you follow it and you see it and you put it and you prepare for it and you do what the Bible says in Daniel chapter 1 and when they get to that point where you're not around and they're at school and somebody says, drink this, smoke this, taste this, do this, come here. It comes right down to Daniel and the Bible says in verse 8, Daniel purposed in his heart. Hey, you know what else? He was 600 miles away from home. Nobody in the world would have known what he did. Nobody would have even cared. And he probably could have justified himself and said, You know what? Look at the mess that I'm in. I'm just going to get along as best I could. No! Character! Courage! His relationship to God meant more than anything in this world. Somebody taught him that. Somebody taught him that. And you just saw the process, how it went about. Got to go on. Chapter 2. Chapter 2. In chapter 2 we have Nebuchadnezzar's dream and Daniel's image. What great prophecies on the Gentile nations in modern times. And here's an image that comes out here. The Bible says it's got a head of gold. It's got silver, brass, and then iron. And what what this image represents is the Gentile kingdoms coming down through time. Because the book of Daniel is showing you some things. Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon is gold. Darius, Persia, is silver. Alexander the Great, he's the brass. And the Roman Empire is the iron. And then it winds up in verse 4 with the Antichrist in his kingdom. It goes four Gentile kingdoms and then the Antichrist. In the second coming of Christ in verse 4, Christ being the stone cut without hands. In chapter 3, the fiery furnace. And of course they're down there and they won't, they won't bow. Daniel's putting up a fight. Daniel's standing for his convictions. And your convictions will always get you in the fiery furnace. And down he goes, dumped into the fiery furnace. And of course, the uh, great picture here, Dockley, is a picture of the Jews going through the tribulation period. Nebuchadnezzar type of the Antichrist. But I want to tell you something. It's a picture of your life and my life. There'll be times in this old world where you're put into the fiery furnace. There'll be times that you'll have to stand the trials because that you wouldn't bend, you won't bow. And by the way, if you don't do those two, you won't burn. And that's these boys. And then in verse 25 is a great verse. Because, oh, never, they, they, they made this fire seven times hotter. I mean, even the guys that opened the door to throw them in got burned. The heat was so bad. They throw these Hebrew children in there. And they're all around. They say, boy, we got rid of them. About that time they heard somebody singing, oh, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Manuel Vane in three-part harmony out of that furnace. Nebuchadnezzar. Opens up the door and looks in there and and he says, what do you see? And they say, hey, you know what? We threw three guys in, but now there's four. And you know what? That fourth one looks like the Son of God. You betcha. Now, you know what your new NIV says? Takes out Son of God and it says the fourth one looks like a Son of the God, small G-O-D. Put the devil in the furnace with him. That'll work, won't it? How many people want to go into the furnace and try life with the devil? Anybody? I thought not. Well, that's what it'll do for you. That's what them new Bibles will do for you. All right, chapter 4 and chapter 5. You have Nebuchadnezzar's insanity, a lot like mine, and his recovery. (laughs) Chapter 1 through 7, he puts out a false peace. He becomes a beast for seven years. And it's a picture of the Antichrist turning in Revelation chapter 12 and 13. This is called lycanthropy, turning into an animal in medical terms. But it actually happened. Nebuchadnezzar goes like a beast. He rolls out there. He eats grass like an ox. His hair gets long. His fingernails get long. He climbs trees. I mean, uh, too bad it wasn't coon season. He'd been dead. But anyway, it, 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 it's, it's a picture of exactly what you got. 
He turns into an animal, type of the Antichrist. Then in chapter 5. Oh, in chapter 5, the great story. And I'm giving you the caps of these. You can go back and look at it. The great chapter on, as we've all heard the saying, the handwriting on the wall. What a great study. Belshazzar's in chapter 5. I don't know if you know it or not, but there's 23 years of history from chapter 4 to chapter 5. And in chapter 5, Belshazzar shows up. Here's what he does. He takes the gold vessels of God. He drinks the toast of the devil and his gods. He shows what a big, powerful man he is. He's showing how tough and he's king and he ain't afraid of God or whatever God says. He's showing everybody that he's the king and Belshazzar reigns and rules, man. And he's got bumper stickers and t-shirts that say, Belshazzar reigns, man. And he down there takes the vessels that are holy to God, drinks his filthy stuff in it, and makes a toast to the devil and his God. And about that time, somebody said, look at that over on the wall. And a man's finger appears and it writes a message. And it says, God, number, point A, Belshazzar, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Point two, thou art weighed in the balances and you found wanting. Point three, your kingdom is now divided and going to be given to the Medes and the Persia. Oh yeah, P.S. Point four, you're dead. And he dies that night. It's a great picture showing how the great mighty men of this world can think that God is not in charge. That they think they're in charge. When all the time, all it takes is a hand of God to sniff out your life and God goes on and you cease to exist. In Daniel chapter 6, great study, Daniel in the lion's den. And I'm telling you, doctrinally, again, it's a picture of the tribulation period. In the Bible, you'll find old lions, young lions, the strong lion. They're all different things that picture the Antichrist and show you uh, some of the nations that go with him throughout the Bible. And doctrinally, that's what you got a picture of here. Daniel, a type of the nation of Israel, thrown in the fire, thrown in the lion's den. But inspirationally, inspirationally, as you and I grow, we go from our young youth to our evil day, and we go through the fiery trials. Sooner or later, if you keep standing for God, you're going to wind up in a lion's den. You're going to wind up in a lion's den. No, this is the great story when you read it down here in verses 17 through uh, 23. I don't know if you ever read it. But the king... He really, he liked Daniel. And he didn't want Daniel to get thrown in the lion's den. But you see, they had a law back there called the law of the Medes and the Persians. And that law simply said, once they put a law into effect, you can't change it. And they had tricked the king into putting Daniel into the lion's den. And so, there's nothing he can do about it. So Daniel gets thrown in the lion's den. And the Bible says, that all that night, the king's pacing back and forth about what he did. He just can't wait. It was the longest night, and he's trying to think every way possible to get around that law, to get Daniel out. But you know what? He can't get him out. And the next morning, he can't wait. He runs down there in the morning, and before he ever looks inside, normally, when you threw somebody down, they were dead before they hit the ground. It was like my three lab with a people beef jerky. Stand back and get out of the way, man. They'll kill each other, you and everybody else. Can you imagine eight or nine thousand pound lions down there, hadn't eaten for a week? There's one little scrawny kid up there, they're going to drop down and get him. Well, let me tell you something. There'll be a fight, and they said many times they were dead before they ever hit the ground and ripped the shreds. King runs down there and he says, hey, Daniel, did your God come through? Daniel said, yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Oh, what a great moral that is. I'm telling you something. 
That king up there walking up and down in those palace shows me that all the things of this world that he had, he could have clapped his hands and 60 naked dancing girls would have danced around him all night long. He could have called for this and for that to eat. He could have had music, singers, court jesters. He could have had everything he wanted. He was the king. None of those things would settle his heart. Daniel down that lion's den, let me tell you something. Even though the Bible doesn't say it, I'm going to tell you. He had the best night's sleep he ever had in his life. He hit that lion's den down there, boy, and about that time them lions are all lined up looking at him. And over here there's a lion standing up going like this. And all the other lions are looking at Daniel, looking at the other lion. The lion goes, boys, circle around here. This is my man Daniel from the hood. And he's down here, and, and uh, we're just going to kind of make things nice for him. Now, you over here, Sassy, you get over here, and you get over here, big buck, and you get down here, and you all snore around down here. Hey, there ain't nothing like sleeping in. I, I got three labs. I love sleeping with them. They'll curl up and there's something about, man, hearing them. I got one, when she, when she, before she right goes to sleep, she'll give this big sigh. She'll just go, and she's gone. I got one that lays on her backs and puts her head back with her legs straight up in the air, the head to the side, and she's gone. And I got one that sleeps and thinks he's chasing something and his legs are going in his sleep like this. When they snuggle around you and they're purring and they're grunting and they're groaning and they're, they're laying there and they're sighing and they're all snuggled up against you and you feel them and you can hear them breathe and you can hear... It is the, it is the most comforting thing in the world to me. What we must have been with eight or nine big old lions down there snuggling up, boy, when you got a little cold, one of them just threw that big old mane around you, boy. You know what the moral of that story is? I'll tell you what it is because someday you're going to have to go in a lion's den. If you get courage, you get character and you stand, and your kids stand, tell them this. Tell them for me. It's okay to go in a lion's den anytime, place, anywhere, as long as the lion of the tribe of Judah goes with you. And I'll tell you something else. I'd rather be in the lion's den with him than safe in the king's palace without him. And I'll tell you what. You can take those to the bank. Chapter 7. The great doctrinal chapter that fills the gaps between Daniel and Revelation. Wow, what a thing this is. Oh, man. We already saw in Daniel chapter 2, we remember they talked about four kingdoms. Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. And they run from, they run from 606 B.C. up to about 1500 A.D. Now in chapter 7, we've got more, four more kingdoms. Now every, every expositor, Every man who lays out Daniel tries to make these next four match up to the four we just looked at. But you know what? That won't work. Because if you're paying attention and you look at verse 17 of chapter 7, it says that these four kings shall arise. So it can't match up to the four back there because Babylon's already in effect and it won't match up that way. No, let me tell you something. When you get revelation and you lay this thing out, you know what God's giving you? God's showing you the major kingdoms right up to the second coming of Christ. Here's how it runs. It starts out Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. That brings us up to 1500 A.D. on your historical calendar line. And then you've got another world power. And I'll tell you what, this one's, called, this one's like into a lion. And there's only one nation on this earth that had the crest of a lion. It's England. And you know what? Just by a wild coincidence, England's a world power. It's 1600 to 1900. And then the next beast down there in verse 5 is a bear. What? There's only one nation on the face of this planet that's a bear. It's Russia. Russia becomes a world power from 1914 to 1980. Look at that bear down there. It says it devoured much flesh. 
But a time before communism goes to pieces and falls, that bear has devoured two-thirds of the world's population is under communistic rule. Then the last one, verse 6, a leopard. The old good old USA. The world power from 1900 to 200. You realize that we're only superpower in the world today? There are no superpowers. England was till 1900. Russia was till 1980. You can't even find the Russians anymore. You can't even find communism anymore. It's gone. There's no threat anywhere. The world power now, they're so split up and fractured, the world power now is America. She's likened to a leopard. Do you ever notice that leopard? That leopard represents the melting pot of integration. That leopard is a picture of what America is. There's three races in that Bible, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. I don't know if you do or not. Ham represents the black man. Japheth represents the white man. Shem represents the yellow man. You know that leopard? All these animals stand for something. You know that leopard's the only animal on the face of this planet. It's got the black spots of Ham, the white belly of Japheth, and the yellow back of Shem. Integrated. You know what you got? You got the nations running down from 606, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, England, Russia, the old good old U.S. of A. And then right down in verse 7, here comes the Antichrist and shows his run through history using the Gentile nations as his tools to launch his plan. Chapter 8, the great chapter in Alexander the Great. Historically, it's Medes and Persia going into Alexander. Alexander the Great's an interesting character. He's a great type of the Antichrist. He died at 33 years of age, conquering the world. Conquering the world. Same age as Christ, same age as the Antichrist. Interesting guy to study down through history. If you look at verse 17, you'll see in that chapter, it talks about the time of the end. All fits into the tribulation period. Then we got chapter 9. Chapter 9. Chapter 9 is Daniel's 70th week. Now let me just say this to you. And I'm going to spend just a few moments on this. This is the key to all Bible prophecy. This is the big stick in Daniel. Daniel's 70th week. And this is probably the hardest thing in Daniel to figure out. The more books you read on it, the more confused you get. But I'm going to do why you love. What I'm going to do for you why you love me so much today. I'm going to do for you what I do best. I'm going to take this thing and break it down. So this is why you bought me that condominium down at the Lake of the Ozarks. This is why you pay me a million dollars a year. This is why you bought me that big yacht for my birthday last year. We named Visitation. So when you call my house looking for me, my wife says, well, he's on visitation. <laughs> You're laughing at that, but we both knew a preacher that had a big boat and they did visitation when they called for him at the church. The second time would say, well, he's on visitation today. I'm going to make this so simple for you. Let me read it for you. Watch this. Now, everybody hang with me here because I'm going to give you something that you give a, you give a thousand dollars for at some point once you get to this point in your study. So let me just tell you ahead of time. Verse twenty four of chapter nine. Watch now. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliations for in, in, iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. And the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks, and threescore and two weeks. And the streets shall be built again, and the wall even in tr uh, troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince shall come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, 
and of the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war of desolations are determined. Now that sounds really confusing. And you got all these 70 weak things in here and all this stuff, and everybody says, oh, this is such a deep prophecy. And guys like to keep you in the dark so they can show you how smart they are and how stupid you are. But let me tell you something. Let me show you how easy this is. I'm going to give you this thing in a heartbeat. It's so easy. My goal is to make it easy, not make it hard. And thanks for the boat. I love it. Wrong color, but I love it. Seventy weeks are determined. Now, what we're working with here is simple. We're working with 490 years. That's what we're working with here. Forget the 70 weeks. Forget all this other stuff. Let me break it down for you. We are working with 490 years. That, that 490 years starts in Ezra and Nehemiah when Cyrus gives it a decree to go back to the land. And it goes up to the second coming of Christ. In other words, what he's saying is, there's going to be 490 years between when that Jew goes back in Ezra and Nehemiah till Christ returns at the second coming of Christ. 490 years. Now, he puts it into a, into a study set. He says, in 400, you take, take 7 and divide it into 490, you got 70. So what he says here, you got 490 years, we're going to make it into weeks. Every seven years, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, that's seven years, that's one week, one, two, three, and you go right down. And when you take 490 years and divide it by seven, you come up with 70 weeks, each week being seven years long, which is 490 years. That's all it is. It's so simple. He's saying that from Ezra to the second coming of Christ, there are 490 years. He gives it in the form of a... Of a, of, a, of a week's 70 weeks uh, each week is each week is seven years meaning one week and then when you figure it all up and just put the math to it you're dealing with 70 weeks of seven year periods one week each which equals 490 years that's all now what he's saying in verse 25 and verse 26 you have a total of 483 years from Ezra and Nehemiah up to the first coming of Christ you're dealing with 490 years or 70 weeks. But from the Ezra and Nehemiah where it started up to where Christ comes at the first coming of Christ, what you have there is 483 years. You're seven years short. You see what I'm saying? Okay. He's saying when you come from there to here, you only got 483 years. You got seven years left. That last seven years is called the tribulation period. That's why... The tribulation period is called Daniel's 70th week. There's 70 weeks determined, but only 69 of them have been fulfilled up to the first coming of Christ. Then what happens? They reject Christ. They crucify Him. The church age comes in, the unknown time element, a mystery of God, the Bible says in Ephesians 5. And then this last week is postponed till the tribulation period after the rapture, and that's why it gets fulfilled Daniel 70th week there, not here. It got postponed because of the Jews' rejection of the king. That's all you got. It's that simple. You got 70 weeks, 490 years. You got 483 up to the first coming of Christ. Then you have one week of seven years left, the tribulation period. The tribulation got postponed because the Jews, when they saw Christ, instead of accepting him as their king, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they rejected him and crucified him. So God postponed the second coming, brought in the church age of mystery, and then is going to restore Daniel's 70th week 
after the rapture of the church in the tribulation period. It's as simple as that. And it is, it is one of the greatest prophecies that you're ever going to find anywhere in the Bible. And I'll help you with that Thursday night, but that's basically what you got. All right, chapter 10. Chapter 10. Picture of the second coming of Christ and the spiritual warfare all around us. Verses 12 through 21, it tells a great story. Gabriel, Daniel's praying. Gabriel has the answer to his prayer. And Gabriel comes from heaven down to this earth to bring Daniel his answer and to help Daniel. And when he gets there, Daniel says, what took you so long? Gabriel says, you know what? The prince and the power of Persia, or the devil, held me up 21 days getting from heaven to here. I had to get on the walkie-talkie and call Michael the archangel and get some air support. And that's how I got here. And that shows you the great spiritual battle that the Bible talks about in Ephesians 6 where we wrestle not against flesh and the blood. We went against spirituality and principalities in high places. It's only one of the stories that really show you that if we could see around us what's going on, we'd be scared to death. Well, back there in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 24, you've got to picture this warfare when they're down there and, and all of a sudden you hear this big whooshing sound going through the tops of the mulberry trees. That's the heavenly army that you can't see. You find them again in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 7, the great army that, that Elijah gets to see, and he sees it, thousands and thousands. And, and he, it, it all is a great picture of the spiritual battle and the spiritual warfare that goes on around us all the time. Then in chapter 11. Chapter 11 is probably one of those chapters that is sealed up. It's a tough chapter, but let me tell you the idea of what you got. Probably in Daniel chapter 11 probably shows the European alliance of nations with the Antichrist. And it usually either takes place either right before the rapture where we're living or maybe right after the rapture. But here's the great chapter that it doesn't give you all the alliances. It talks about them. It shows them. But it doesn't give you the details to figure it all out. But it gives you great insight in how the Antichrist thinks. This chapter goes along with 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It talks about how the Antichrist flatters and, and, and uses deception and all the things that, that he does. And it's a great chapter. Then chapter 12, our last chapter. Chapter 12 talks about, again, doctrinally a great chapter on the tribulation period and the second coming of Christ, but a chapter that for us, in our study inspirationally, brings it all together for us. Verse 3 is a great verse. It says... And they that shall be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is the tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 41, talking about that great day when we meet God. It says simply, There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another star in glory, so also is a resurrection of the dead. And they that shall be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. Let me tell you, Daniel ends on a great note. Daniel shows you that the book of Daniel is a picture of your life and my life. You know, I don't know if you caught it or not, if you ever read the book of Daniel, but when you come through Daniel chapter 1, the last, ver the last verse in chapter 1 says that Daniel continued until the end of the captivity. Daniel, life is 70, or his ministry is 70 years old. 
Yet in Psalms chapter 90, verse 10, the Bible says that my life and your life is going to be three score and ten, seventy. Daniel's a picture of life on planet earth. He's a picture of a man who somebody built a foundation in his life because there was an evil day coming. He's a picture of a young man that somebody, and the Bible doesn't say who, took him, built into his life all the principles that built character, that built courage, because that person knew that there was going to come an evil day, and in chapter 1, that evil day comes. Nebuchadnezzar gets taken captivity, and he gets a daily provision. They try to redefine who he is. They do exactly what him, what the world and the devil are going to try to do to your child, redefine who you are, give you a three-year provision of the filth of this world, because the bottom line is, God, the devil wants you to stand for him in this world instead of standing for God. We see that the Bible says that Daniel purposes in his heart. He continues to stand on biblical principles. And then life gets tougher. Chapter 3, the fiery furnace. Chapter 6, the lion's den. All down through this book. All through this book, the world never lets up on Daniel. And I'm telling you something. Once you decide to take a stand for God, all through your life, the world will never let up on you. There'll never be an easy day where your flesh doesn't give you a problem. There won't be somebody offering you something that isn't sinful and isn't wrong because the devil wants so desperately to get you to stand. You know, I've always watched young people. I've always watched young people. I've watched, you know, how that the devil is always after them. You know, I, I, you can go out here to John Knox Village. It's one of the biggest retirement homes in all the world. You know what? I don't think in all the years they've been there they've ever had a drug bust. You don't see any search and warrant teams kicking down the doors of old ladies and going through and old men and going through and getting drugs. You don't see them going over there knocking on the door saying, turn down the music, your party's too loud and quit that dancing in here. Doesn't happen. You might get a little bit of Willie Nelson floating down the halls, but that's about it. You know why? I'll tell you why. Because there's a great lesson here. Devil's not after those people. They're in the twilight years of their life. They're not going to make a difference, but you are. And that's why he's after you. That's why he wants you. That's why he wants to destroy your life. And that's why he wants to get you to stand for him. He wants to redefine who you are so you'll bend to the pressure. Those Hebrew children, they wouldn't bend, they wouldn't bow, and they wouldn't burn. And I'm telling you, that's the issue today. That's where it's at today. And all through this book of Daniel, you've got a picture of Daniel overcoming. And someday, we're going to stand before God and we that be wise... We do what's right with the Word of God. We're going to shine as the brightness of the firmament. And those that turn many to righteous as the stars forever and ever. God's got a job for you. But you have to stand to do it. It takes courage to do it. It takes character to do it. Sometimes you may have to stand alone. And if you're raising up children and you're a young couple, let me tell you something. You better start working right now again. Get a plan. Start right now against the evil day because you won't stop it from coming. You won't stop it from coming. And wherever you're at in your spiritual life today, hey, you know what? I'll help you get wherever you want to go. I'll help you realize your goals in your life. But I'm telling you, there's only one thing worth living for in this world, and that's this book and God because it's His. He's right on schedule. Everything around us in this world points to one thing. The Lord's coming back, and He wants us to be found faithful standing for Him not standing for the world. Every head bowed and every eye closed.